to the second hour of Love Babs, Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. I'm delighted this morning because I get to talk to Nick LeBron from Hartford, but right now his campaign manager, uh, Candace Dorman, is hanging out for a few minutes. And I think he's logging in now. Hey, Candace. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm so happy to see you, Babs. It's nice to see you. I'm glad you're running a a campaign. You know me, right? When the when the phone rings, I answer. And uh, <laughs> in this case, it was my good friend, Nick LeBron, actually Councilman Nick LeBron, who's running for mayor for the city of Hartford. And uh, <laughs> I've known him for over a decade and had been waiting for him to make this announcement for a very long time. So when he made that call to me, I was like, all right, let's go. When what's 10 more months? <laughs> all right. So uh, welcome, Councilman Nick LeBron. How are you? I am well. I am well. I am, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, too, because, you know, Hartford is our capital. We, we are concerned about who, who runs that city. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely should be, yes. So tell me something about Hartford that those of us in New Haven would not know or did not know. Well, I think from Hartford, um, being a food person and um, having traveled to uh, New Haven, which is the pizza capital, is that we come in a close second in terms of our pizza. Uh, we're a big uh, food uh, diversity in food. So we have a lot of different uh, cultures and ethnicities in terms of food. And those are the type of things that bring people to cities um, and, and, and folks enjoy those things. So that's just kind of uh, my own personal favorite when I talk about and celebrate the cultures that uh, uh, we, we experience here in Hartford. So how long have you been on the council? So this is my first term. This is, oh. my, um, this is my fourth year and the first term. Okay. And so, so uh, your terms are four-year increments? Yes. Yes, it is. And so what has it been like being councilman? What did you learn? What have you learned? Well, I mean, I think it's 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 an interesting thing, right? We the world um was challenged by something called the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if New Haven experienced that. I'm saying that, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. But uh, you know, it was an interesting experience where um I had to learn how to do the Zoom and connect with people through you know zoom meetings or teams meetings and 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 connecting with communities in that way which was something that um i think we all had to learn uh from uh being able to adjust to that you know but being the chair in health and human service uh we had to, i was called into action right away it was only a month in um when i was sworn in that uh i was able to you know pivot and then now all of a sudden have this pandemic on our plates as the chair of Health and Human Services, coupled with the um, with the mayor and as well as the director of Human Services, it really took a lot of time and it took a lot of uh, energy and effort in order to make sure that you know we save lives. And um, and so I'm very proud about that. Hmm. So you you have an associate's degree in social work from Capital Community College. Mm -hmm. You have a BA in psychology and a master's of public policy from Trinity College. So yes. so what's a what's a nice boy like you doing in a job like that? Why are you running wanting to be elected to office? So it's a BS in psychology, and I take that right because I took a lot of science courses. So um, uh, but uh, what? So I, I think what my education reflects really the level that I was at in my professional career um, at uh, when, when I was going for my associate's degree, I had just came out of college. And so I was trying to really find um, what I wanted to do. 
And so my mom being my first mentor and her being a social worker inspired me to be a social worker. Um, it was a field at the time that was 90% um, female. And so talks with my mother and those types of things, you know, I felt like majoring in social work would make me highly marketable and being able to get a job. And so that was that was the case as well as being bilingual. I think over a period of time, as I was doing social work, I really started to explore how people think um, and um, how families think. And so then I became a, 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 then I majored in psychology. After that, I became a family therapist and um, really was able to assess families in New Haven area, by the way, I did work in the New Haven area, uh, uh, Bridgeport, uh, a lot of major cities all over the state. I was really blessed and fortunate to see that happening all over the state. But the other interesting thing that a lot of folks um, may or may not know is the diversity of Connecticut's landscape and that poverty also happens in rural areas. We do have farmlands, we have farmers. And uh, I was doing home visits and connecting with those families who were poor, but living on a farm, which, are, which is a, a much different experience than uh, we typically associate with poverty in Connecticut. But one of the major things and where I pivoted to public policy was oftentimes, no matter where I was, whether I was in a farm in Brooklyn, Connecticut, or in uh, the Hallville area in New Haven, New Hallville, I believe it's called. Mm -hmm. The common theme that I was always faced with was poverty, right? And poverty transcended everything. And a lot of the the issues that were coming up with families were based in poverty. So there was this macro level thought that I had in my mind where it was, are we teaching our families to tolerate poverty? When we go into these homes and as a social service agency and a human service agency or agencies or industry, are we really just teaching families how to be poor? And so that's where I really shifted my focus and became an organizer, an advocate, a lobbyist, and then an elected official to try to change poverty and really focus on economic mobility for families. Because a lot of the base and root cause of the issues that they were facing were based upon income levels. Mm. So uh, I read in your bio, you are Puerto Rican or yes. your mother is Puerto Rican. Well, my and, mom and dad is Puerto Rican. Yeah. Okay. Your parents yes. are Puerto Rican. Yes. And so talk a little bit about what that, what that means to you and how does that influence you? Well, I think being Puerto Rican has a major influence uh, in my life. It helped shape me from the very beginning. You know, obviously I'm a big food person. I'm circling back to the food and the wonderful food that I was uh, exposed to uh, and, and, um, and the like, the cultural celebrations, the importance of family, the importance of connecting. Even yesterday, um, coming off of the Super Bowl, I was able to connect with um, all of our family. We love coming together. We love bringing, you know, our certain dishes and those type of things and celebrating and laughing and, uh, and seeing the young people grow. Um, so those were the exposures um, that I that I learned very early. But what I also learned very early was uh, the differences and uh, ethnicities and cultures. I went to I had a very unique experience growing up in Hartford, and that my mom valued education. So even though 
we were on the low socioeconomic scale, he moved to an area and paid higher rent in order for me to have access to a good school. Because back in those days, there wasn't a lottery or those type of things. So I went to a school where there was very affluent people. And so it was also uh, uh, where I saw the, afflu the affluent folks who went, when they left school, they went north. And uh, the folks that were on the lower socioeconomic status went south. And I started to see and appreciate the cultural difference, differences and the ethnicities, depending on where you walked and lived. And it made me very acutely and keenly aware of the circumstances that I was faced with at a very young age. And so, um, and understanding that all the Puerto Ricans and the, and the Black folks were walking South and all the folks who weren't Puerto Rican and or Black were walking North. And I think that that helped shape me very early on, understanding that hmm, there's a correlation here. Uh, I don't know what it is at 10 years old, but there's something here. And so it made me explore those things very early on. And so, you know, those are the things that, that helped shape me um, and identification around uh, being Puerto Rican and, 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 and its cultural importance. But the connectedness and saying like, hmm, all people of color, at that time we didn't use that term, but all people of color seem to be going this way to this neighborhood. And so understanding that there were common threads in poverty. I like that. That's a good thought. So, so, and understanding that, Nick, how mm -hmm. do you talk to the business people? How do you talk to business people uh, uh, to stay focused in and in providing uh, industry and jobs in Hartford and and around Connecticut? How do you talk to affluent folks who live in Hartford? Because I know you got some, right, mm -hmm. and surrounding cities and towns of Hartford. How, what do you hear from them, and what do they say? They're like, "Oh, I hear you talking about poor people. Are you gonna <laughs> give away the store? Like, what's happening?" Yeah. So. I think um, aside from the small businesses and the small and the vibrancy that that brings to our communities, one of the major, and, and I think it's important to step back and understand that we are always learning and we should be always learning or wanting to learn. And so one of the things that I've been learning on this campaign where I speak to these affluent people is that they want a lot of the same things we want they see the spike in murders that happened last year. And they realized, right, that wherever they are, whether they're doing business in downtown or having a meeting after work, those crime and those violence incidences affect their bottom line as well. And so they want the same things. So oftentimes when candidates or elected officials approach them, they approach them from this very, um, as, as one person put it, stale conversation around how to, can they affect their bottom line? And look, these are very savvy, savvy business people. We're the insurance capital of the world. And for us to think and be layered and mired in their work to the degree that we know, you know very specific information about their work, they're less impressed by that. They're more impressed of the outcomes and keeping a city safe because can't, I was gonna say, can't any, can't no business happen if nobody wanna come to do business because they scared. And I think that that was the most important and eye-opening experience. So it helped me shift and made me understand that, look, these are people too. And they wanna feel safe when they go to work. Mm. 
So talk to me a little bit about this crime situation, because I, I pay attention to what's going on in Hartford. I listen to the news and y'all have been up against it for a good minute now. Um, I mean, there's a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you how do you how do you talk to community and how do you talk to I mean, you're in Hartford, you've got the legislative body there. How do you how do you talk to all these parties about what is happening uh, in Hartford and how do you get people to the table to, to help resolve this? I think the fabulous Babs, uh, I think it's a great question. And my answer is rooted in your question. So you're saying talking to all the parties. And I think that that's really at the crux of it. That is actually the root issue is that you have all these parties that are involved and they all want to be involved and they all have the same idealistic goals. But there's so many parties and there's so many layers and they're attacking it in silos. And so, you know, we need to be able to come together to find the common threads, so we're not duplicating services. And so we're not also when grants and funds go out there that we don't have competing nonprofits going after the same thing and creating contentious relationships when um, the service delivery is out there in the community. We need to bring the school system in because the school system, you know, the children are, I call them scholars. The scholars are in school 40 hours a week, you know, and then they go home. And so you, but they're a whole child. They're a whole family. And we need to attack it as such. If we continue to try to find the answer solely at the state or solely in the street, we're going to lose. So talk to me a little bit about um, the infrastructure of Hartford and, and and what do you? What is your mission and vision for Hartford? What do you see Hartford being in the future? Well, I, you know, I see a Hartford that's unified. I think that we have to unify our city, and and a lot of it has to do with uh, how we've landed into this place. Going back to the story I shared around um, leaving school and folks going a low social social economic status going this way, and other folks and affluent folks going better because of that. That has broken down our city for decades where we have pockets. And so as a result, you know, a grant comes out, you know, you have Frog Hollow fighting South Green or the Northeast corner fighting Clay Arsenal, uh, you know, for these pockets of money. And so we need to come together and we need to unify our city. I think that that's an important piece. The other piece, Miss um, Babs, is that as you heard, is we need some, something that is economically thriving for all. So oftentimes, you know, we, you know, work-related grants and and job training programs. I want to tell you a story of this um, gentleman. Let's call him Mike. He lived in the north end of Hartford, uh, off of um, Mother Street in Ma- Brook and Mother. Um, and uh, he doesn't live anymore, so I'm not there anymore. So I'm not going to identify him. And I remember as a social worker going into his home, he was trying his best. He was a single dad. He had three children. He had they were all teenagers at the time. And he was going through all of those things that teenagers put parents through. But the other difficult piece was that Mike was trying to gain employment and he was trying to do it for years. And on his wall, never forget it, he had seven certifications. He had trades, construction, plumbing, heating, job training, parent leadership courses, and he turns and looks at me and he said, Nick, I'm trying, but none of this leads to jobs. None of it. And so job placement, job training is good, but if you don't got 
stops at the end of that pipeline of that training, then it's just going to be a paper on Mike's wall. And we have to change that. Mm. So what do you say to the re-entry? Do you have a re-entry issue in Hartford? Oh, yes. Um, so I, at the forefront of this, so I myself um, coming up in the Hartford community have um, family members that have been challenged, uh, you know, and are re-entry citizens. So I know firsthand because they call me, my uncle, I'm not going to say who, but my family would call me and say, listen, <laughs> this ain't working. <laughs> this line is too long. I don't qualify for this. I got cousins, friends, um, you know, who want to, I think the important thing is they want to come back and they want to change their lives. So we have to take advantage of what um, in, in um, Puerto Ricans say, animo. And it doesn't really translate well to English, but it's that energy. We have to capitalize on that energy while it's hot and warm inside of them. Because if they come back to a system that is mired in red tape, they become easily frustrated and therefore may be um, prone to the things that they learned that probably got them incarcerated in the first place. So an example of that, myself, um, along with uh, my counsels on uh, my colleagues on council, we're able to change our reentry program to open it up to anyone, right? Because before it was just focused on uh, folks who came out clean, as they say, right? Like, so they didn't have any probation or parole or those type of things. Well, there's not a high percentage of those folks. There are a lot of people that come out with probation and parole because they get dangled that low hanging fruit. And they're like, yeah, I've come out to whatever restrictions you need. And as um, um, as one of um, I, my little cousin had told me, it's like, um, you know, these, these parole, these special paroles, they give you enough rope to really hang yourself. And so oftentimes folks on special parole, they go right back in and then they end up doing the max on their sentences. So it's understanding that we got to serve everybody, the ones who come out clean and the ones who come out with special parole and that there's a spectrum of folks who, who need reentry services. And we shouldn't close that window to just a narrow focus. Mm. So how closely do you think you'll be working with the, the legislative body for the state of Connecticut? Well, I, so the good news is, is that I have friends on the New Haven legislature. I have friends in the Bridgeport legislature because as a lobbyist and working as an educational advocate, I had to have friends in all the cities and towns all over the state. And we all had the common themes that it did not matter where a child was born, but that they should have access to a quality education. So because I have those relationships at the state capitol, definitely we need to uh, double down. And uh, I'm, we don't have a legislative affairs person right now at the city. We need to change that, right? We need to bring someone back whose job it is to kind of be at the state capitol and, uh, and utilize those relationships and utilize those common themes utilize those things around poverty, utilize those things around city issues and come together and unify on, on, on core issues. And, and again, I just wanna reiterate, poverty affects everyone in every community, right? I, again, I talk about the family um, that I served in Brooklyn, Connecticut. They were a white family, they had a farm, they had horses, they sold manure. To be, to be honest with you. And that's how they lived and survived besides state subsidies. 
And so there's a common theme with poverty. But what happens is with geography, and one of the things I learned from that family in Brooklyn, they felt like everybody in the city gets everything, right? And the same conversely, everybody in the city feels like everybody in the outskirts gets everything. But that's the common thread and that poverty affects all. And so in a state that has the biggest wealth gap, we need to be able to address it on a statewide level and address these issues. And the only way to do it is to come together collaboratively. So talk to me, uh, Nick, about the moment you decided, uh, I, I'm serving on the council, but I think my skills and talents might be better utilized in the mayoral office. That's a great question. <laughs> I think that's the first question I've been asked on this campaign. Thank you for that question. And the moment I realized it is that when I had a ordinance that I needed passed and I lost eight to one, but I'm the most proudest of that, right? Because I stood, you know, I often tell folks that, um, and this isn't my quote, I forgot, I think it's, I don't know who, I think it's Thomas Jefferson, but, you know, for matters of, of style, I can swim with the current. But for matters of principle, I can I stand like a rock. And I stood like a rock on that. I felt it from the beginning. I lobbied my council colleagues. Some of them wavered. Some of them came on. And then last minute, they decided to go, um, you know, in another direction. But as a result, when I, what ended up happening is I was able to foreshadow um, um, an issue that came up statewide where um, there was some... There wasn't anything nefarious. It was just more of a snafu or an oversight. And I saw that coming because of where the ordinance, uh, the structure that we had in place. And so as a result, what ended up happening is months later, when it hit the fan, when stuff hit the fan, you know, then my council colleagues came around and say, Nick, now I understand what you were talking about. And so that's the moment where understanding the policy and how it's being delivered, but having the foresight of what's coming in the future, I think that became the moment. Mm. So is running for mayor different than running for council? Like, what have you learned? <laughs> running for mayor <laughs> is definitely different than running for council. And I say this tongue in cheek, uh, and I love to laugh, right? Like we, we live in a world that's, you know, oftentimes pulls at our heartstrings. So I love to smile. And so what I have learned differently, uh, and I say this because Candace is here, uh, is uh, my appearance. I like to wear uh, athletic leisure. Uh, and so, listen, I'm a product of my community. But understanding, like, look, in leadership, this is what people need. They need to have confidence in their leadership. They need to understand that. And rather I agree with it or not, that's the rules of the game that's being played right now. And so if that's the rules of the game that I need to learn and adapt to in order to lead my city through the struggles and lead us to a place where we need to be, then I'll change, I'll put on whatever it needs, whatever it takes necessary to do so. Um, but um, I'm sorry, what was the root question? I'm sorry, I went on the <laughs> because I got passionate about my clothing. <laughs> that's that's fun. Why have you learned? Why are you learning? What are you learning no, in this yeah, process? No, I, yeah, I think I think what I've learned for the campaign process is that um, we understand the rules, right? There's a playbook that has been established for centuries, right? If not decades. And that playbook has been leveraged by a certain archetype of constituency and a certain archetype 
uh, social archetype of establishment, political powers that be. So look, we understand the rules of that game, um, but like Einstein said, we have to learn the rules of that game and play and and then play it better than everybody else. So that so that's where we are, and uh, the rules of that game, more specifically, is is the fundraising piece. Um, you know, there isn't a lot of tangible measures that are being given in the community to understand where do people lie? Like, how do they feel about certain candidates? Those type of things don't exist. Um, and I think, you know, they, they should exist, but they don't exist now. And so the only leverage or the only tangible things and the only things that gets printed in the paper is the amount of the amount of funds that are raised, and that and then that transcends to legitimacy. So if you go back to this young ten year old boy who was going to uh, Noah Webster School and started to see how the you know the folks who are on the low socioeconomic status looked this way and went in this community, and the other folks went that way in that community, and had every and there was a high correlation around what they look like. And then you go and fast forward to a young man, uh, not, I'm not so young anymore, but a person uh, <laughs> who is now running for mayor, the game still is being played the same way, but that's okay. Like I said, we're gonna play the game in terms of fundraising and we're gonna do it better than everybody else. So talk to me about how you are going to deal with negative or negativity, because uh, listen, I, I've run for office. I know people run for office. I've worked on campaigns far and wide. Uh, it, it, at some point, negativity finds its way into a campaign. Somebody's yeah. going to say some disparaging thing about you or your mama. Or they <laughs> don't be talking about my mama. You talk about don't be talking about my mama and my kids and my wife. <laughs> Somebody's going to say something, and it's going to be off-putting. It might be racist yeah. in its undertones. It might be classes in its mm -hmm. reach. It might be a lot of things. How do you how do you push back on that? Do you push back on that? Do you sure. have a strategy, a personal sure. strategy for dealing with that? I think it, you know, it's having an absolutely fantastic and talented campaign manager. I think that those things and understanding those cultures and how it affects your team, how it affects your candidate. And I got the best out there. Um, <laughs> Candace is the best. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that she's grounded in. Oh, look, I'm a human being. So sometimes these things happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes these things. I think you froze. Okay, there you go. Froze a little bit. Oh, maybe you'll come back in. No, no, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, uh, maybe it'll readjust itself. <laughs> Thanks, Harry, for putting all the, the links in. So um, I think uh, Nick has to uh, probably re reorient his, his, his uh, feed. You know, this happens. Technology is such. Uh, hopefully in the next few minutes, it'll snap back. Uh, don't worry, Candice. <laughs> You'll come back in. <laughs> He'll come back in. Uh, he'll jump back on, hopefully before we before we wrap up. We got we got a few minutes, so he'll he'll be back. No worries. It was a good conversation. A, a lot of it, all of it, was a good conversation. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. He'll be he'll be back. 
And, uh, you know, listen, we live in a tech technology, uh, uh, we live in a technology world. And uh, sometimes technology fails us. <laughs> Oftentimes. There you go. See, I knew you'd be back. Yes. There you go. Morning in progress. Hold on one second. I got you in two places. <laughs> That's so all right. We, on, if it goes on again, I'll um just switch to my phone. Oh so. no, you're good. You're good. Mm -hmm. We got we got a few more minutes before we have to wrap up anyway. But sure. finish finish your thought about how how do you how do you push back oh, yeah, with so, your yeah, yeah, personal so, philosophy? Personal philosophy, and I think having a great campaign manager is the same, similar to like. Uh, having a good attorney, right? And so they say, like, you know, if someone had, like, what, what, what do they say? They say, uh, uh, if uh, if someone is representing themselves in court, they got a fool for a client. For a client. So yes. the same thing. If I am my own campaign manager, they got a fool for uh, somebody that's running for uh, elected office. And you absolutely, and, and I absolutely agree with that. And so um, that's that's one of the things where Candace. Um, is able to uh, bring the entire team, not just myself, but bring the entire team back to focus. Uh, and uh, and we need to be mired in that. I just want to personally say that is not our approach. We, we do not uh, um, intend on attacking anyone. Um, and we do not, you know, that's not what this campaign is about. Oftentimes people get soured by that. I think the last um, a couple elections, you know, you start to see the negativity going back and forth. And uh, I'm not sure, like, you know, people don't want to have their commercial breaks focused on negativity. People want to be, you know, people aspire for their leaders to be mired in hope and future and and optimism, not smearing. Um, you know, so it's like uh, the first lady said, Michelle Obama, when they go low, we're going to go high. Mm. I mean, that's I mean, I, I hear you. But if they come for you, I mean, you got to swing back. I think, mm -hmm. I think you have to swing back. I don't know if you swing back with vitriol, but you have to swing back. You know, sure. you're not, you, you can't stand there and let people, and and you can't spend your time fighting right. back too, right? Like, cause you yeah. got to hold, you got to get down the road. Yeah, and so, um, you know, I, I did. That's just my personal effect, but uh, you know, Candace will will handle that and manage that. You know, we're both city kids, um, and so you know, we've been through. You know, we've been through like the kids say, all that smoke before. So for us, I mean, you know, that we're used to that, right? So you know, um, if folks want to go in that direction, um, it isn't. You know, it's you know, we had to come up and we had to be resilient. Um, and so we understand that oftentimes life isn't fair. Um, but if you feel froggy, then just jump. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before I let you go, Nick, and I've enjoyed this conversation immensely, sure. what do you want for Hartford? Well, I, I want a Hartford that is unified. I want a Hartford that no matter what neighborhood that you live in, that you feel connected to the city and you feel that the city has your best interests. I want a Hartford that is economically thriving for all. So often and for decades, we've seen certain segments of the population and certain industries continue to thrive. But most importantly, we all got to feel safe. When we go, when we send our kids to school, they have to feel safe in the schools. When we drive to work or commute to work, we got to feel safe. And when we live, work, and play in all sectors of Hartford, 
we have to feel safe and that's important. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm mm-hmm. gonna pay attention to your campaign, see how you thank do. Thank you. Thank so, you. Uh, I thank appreciate you. you. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. And you know, uh, I, I I did Candace. So, you know, yes. she calls me. I was like, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. So let's do it. So yeah. So yeah. So feel free to come back, keep me posted on how you're doing. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And shout out to my people in New Haven. <laughs> thank you very much. All right, yeah. y'all be cool right. and uh good luck on your campaign. Thank you so much right. for your time. All right, take care. All right, All right. bye, Candace. All right, Harry, we're on our way out. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Don't forget to uh, shower the people you love with love. Because, you know, that's what I'm going to be all about tomorrow. It's all about love tomorrow. So I'll see y'all soon. Be good. Hi, this is Babs Rawls-Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut. And you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM. Streaming live at newhavenindependent.org.